I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for stage four of the Tour de France, 4th of July, uh, public holiday, I was about to say weekend, 4th of July, public holiday in America. So ASO thought with the success of the Netflix series and trying to bring new fans into the sport, why not give Americans an exciting stage to tune into <laughs> from Dax to Nogaro? This will probably be the sleepiest stage of the Tour de France. Um, yeah, kind of curious, <laughs> curious scheduling. Um, maybe they just, maybe they don't care. Um, it's a flat sprint. There's one categorized climb, the Côte de Demou, which is you wouldn't even know they're climbing on the parkour. They're in the big ring. Uh, one point for a cap four. And then this finish is what's actually interesting about this stage. Finishing on a moto circuit, we have a 700 meter straight. To me, it looks slightly uphill in parts, like false flat, one, two percent. Uh, the entry at 2.7 Ks is very, very, it narrows and then it widens and narrows and widens in points. There's a U turn at 700, there's fast sweeping bends, headwind, cross headwind in the, in the finish. Um, there's not too much more to say about the parkour, Benji. And well, is there? There's one vital oh, thing yeah. in there. There's no real KOM point in the first 80% of the stage, which means that there's no breakaway incentive to really go for KOM points in there. And that had an influence today because, for example, yesterday and the day before, we saw Paulus getting in the breakaway to catch some points left and right because he wants to secure his KOM points. But today there's nothing on the terrain. So we said yesterday, Paulus is not going to be in the break. But we're also in a situation where the Giro has these classifications, the Fuga classification for these, for these pro teams to come into the race with wild cards and then go for these misclassifications that are not even shown on screen that are just known behind the scenes for the real fanatics of cycling and the tour doesn't have that so there's also no incentive to go in the break for the amount of kilometers and i feel like we've seen a diminishment in the last few years in sponsorship breakaways yeah i guess because teams like cofidis have trying to be more professional and say hey we're not just a team that's gonna go in meme breakaways for tv exposure yeah, during the now. week they are a world tour team. I mean, despite, you know, that was a fantastic win from Lafay and they have improved, but uh, Cedric Basso was feeling himself. And we, we didn't mention it the other day. And listen, if I was him, I would say the same thing. Uh, I get it because it must be so rewarding to see Lafay beat the fuck out of Van Aert when all you've listened to the last 18 months is how Christophe Laporte's gotten so much better at Jumbo Visma since he left Cofidis. I mean, he was already good on Cofidis. He's just... It's easy to win races when uh, your main competitor lets you win, Gen Wevelhem, I would say. Uh, for context, what did Vasseur say about Jumbo for the people that didn't see? It was uh, more along the lines of, oh, Jumbo thinks they're, they're one step forward on everybody due to the signs and so yeah. forth? He, he was like, you know, they're not, they're not so smarter than everybody in the peloton. It's, you know, it's, it's easy to be good and win races when you have a lot of money. Ineos might disagree, but I sort of, you know, it is tough. Uh, and Cofidis have improved. That being said, um, they've still underperformed for many occasions and have terrible transfer policies in previous years. They would have got relegated if they couldn't farm the local French circuit. And yeah. yeah, so, and who did get relegated? Israel. Israel didn't have that. But that aside, the, the, well, that more goes to the whole attitude in the peloton, which, I mean, we've got not much else to talk about. 
There's many riders in this Tour de France who are not capable of winning a serious stage. And mm -hmm. I mean a stage that is seriously contested. Like tomorrow, a good rider, a, a rider we see coming maybe top 10 in flesh. Or... Who does she like? Yeah, or, or like a Ciccone. Like even a, I put someone who's the, who's the guy on Lotto Destiny. Um, on Hills? On Hills. He might have crashed. So, but someone like that. I, mean, I, I classify, I don't mean just being the top 1%. I mean a good rider. But there's many riders at this Tour de France who cannot win those quote-unquote serious stages. And in fact... You've got a name and shame, my friend. Come on, bring up a name. Anthony Perez. <laughs> to go to Cofidis. Right. Anthony Perez cannot win tomorrow, and I can't think of many stages he could win. Okay. That's not his job. He's a domestique, and he's, he's a valuable guy for Cofidis. But I'm thinking of Campo Imperatore in the Giro, and obviously that finishes on a climb, but Varchek is not winning any other stage in that Giro. And in fact, we've seen on a pure sprint stage, and it's a UAE tour when there's been three sprints, but we saw a Varchek win yeah. that sprint stage in UAE when the Peloton just got it wrong. Like the Dowsett breakaway, for example, in the Giro. No yes. offense to Dowsett and so forth, but that's a breakaway that is less contested where the, break, where the Peloton just said, fuck it, break wins. And it's a breakaway of riders that aren't necessarily the ones you push forward as the breakaway competitors in, in a Giro. Yeah, because if you're someone like Dowsett, you can't, you don't have a great sprint. You got a decent engine. Mm -hmm. It's actually from a strong break to win. You need to either outclimb somebody or out sprint them, or just go away Van Bala style if you have got a huge engine. So, anyway, this is a long way of saying I think a lot of teams vastly. First of all, biggest learning from yesterday is Alperson has the best lead out. Yeah, learning number one. So my theory would be if I'm Trek, if I'm Israel, if I'm Intermarche. I need to make those guys more tired. I need them to be using single dam earlier. And so it's basically MVDP having to pilot Philipson or Rick up piloting at 3Ks instead of 1500 meters. Because if you go head to head against Philipson in a high speed sprint, with he, if he gets a lead out and you're Pedersen Strong, Binium, Kristoff, uh, even pick, pick on those sort of riders, even Van Aert, frankly, but Yumbo, I'm going to pace, you're not going to win. And I think these teams are vastly overestimating their win probability for their good, but not the best sprinter. And they're almost, they're actually underestimating Philipson. I don't think we're guilty of that, but to me, he gets a good lead out. Like uh, the only people I can think of beating him is Jakobsen and Groenewegen. If they on, you know, miraculously have been put into good position that day. I agree with you. I think there's two aspects I want to talk about for a second that you alluded to. First of all, a team like Trek, for example, we saw Simmons do well on a similar finish in San Juan. Yes, there was a lot of wind and so forth. You mentioned it yesterday, but something spicy to try and do something different. For example, yesterday, what Osgren did for a quick step, whether it was on purpose or not, he went off the front in the final sprint and Alpsen had to fix it. Those kind of things are situations where Alpsen has to put more pressure into it. And that's what probably led to Van der Poel launching at 550 meters instead of at 400 meters for, for Philipson at the end of that sprint. But I do feel like Alpesen is more vulnerable, uh, no, less vulnerable to having their team weakened by their strategy in the sprints. They've got that boar-like strategy where they come up last minute with two riders in support of Philipson. And we saw yesterday that they weren't in major numbers either. Eh? No. They came up last minute with Ricard and Van der Poel. And as long as they have Ricard and Van der Poel left, I think they're fine. And the benefit that they have is the rest of their team, they can just put into rotation to chase on anybody they want because their team is so set on Philipson. Yeah, but I've seen Alperson get it wrong before uh, in managing breakaways. And, and that's actually, 
Alperson are very good at the final lead out and they really, if they don't have to, don't like being lent on to do the lion's share of the work for breakaway management. They'll put Dillier, they'll put a rider, yeah. with, but only if Quickstep and the others put one there. So I just think, but it's also a prisoner's dilemma. So I'm now a DS of Trek, mm -hmm. or I'm a- Congrats. Yeah, congratulations um, to me. <laughs> uh, take a, I need to get a pay rise. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Um, I'm a DS of, no, I'm a DS of Bahrain. I thought Bauhaus was very good yesterday. I'm going to put, I think it's optimal that Fred Wright goes in that breakaway with six other Fred Wrights from the various teams who aren't <laughs> Alperson. Yeah. And we're going to make Alperson fucking work all day. The problem is no one else is going to think like that. So I get Fred Wright to attack out of neutral. He goes on his own and now we look completely stupid. Yeah. And so that's why it's this dilemma of, well, I think this way, no one else does. So you really, you need some to talk to some people and be like, okay, Philip, I think it might happen now. We're like, actually, Philipson's pretty fucking good. Um, but anyway. <laughs> We'll get, to the, we'll get to the stage. What, what actually happened during this? I was running, Benji. So, <laughs> no <first> breakaway. <laughs> we usually talk about the breakaway, but you just said it. There was no initial breakaway. And the reasoning before that, I just said earlier, there's no incentive for a breakaway to form that early. We went through that discussion. So, we've got no breakaway, which also means that the tempo is so slow and the stage finishes so much later, which is really sad. But then again, I guess I had other things to do in the afternoon anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So... We go through the stage. We've got an intermediate sprint now for full points. We get a lead out by Alperson. Again, best lead out at the intermediate sprint. We see Rickard and Vanderpool and Philipson. So they use their full lead out this time around for the intermediate sprint, which is something we haven't seen every single intermediate sprint so far. But the man's clearly off the green and he's clearly pretty fucking good at getting that green jersey at the moment, considering all the points he got today. Because 20 at the intermediate sprint and perhaps might have a good sprint at the end. He's going to have loads of points as a consequence. Now, I think uh, that's basically for the intermediate sprint. Philipson takes full points there. Breakaway does happen a bit later, was De Laplace and Cosnefra. But that's not the only attack we had today. At some point during the race, we had the Belgian meme attack. It was back. Wout van Aert, Oliver Naas, and a bunch of other Belgians in the attack. Yeah. What's your opinion? I didn't watch it. Don't care. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good on them. I mean, Oliver Naasen picked that name out, like, again, Age of 2R. What, what, are you do, what are you doing here? Well, what sprinter do they have? Outside? Yeah, so, I mean, I think also UNOX, frankly. I, I will get back to them later. I mean, UNOX is a wildcard team. B&B would have at least made this stage finish on time, I think. Um, UNOX leveraging the whole team for Christoph to have... He's got no chance of winning the stage. No chance. And to top three, I also think very, very low chance. So, And also, Varnish Gold probably faster than Christoph, in my opinion, anyway. So... Maybe you know X need to think, okay, we're a wildcard team. Are we is going in the is going in this breakaway beneath us? Because a lot of teams now think think that and listen, yeah, you will get caught probably most likely. Um, but if you win, it's glorious. Yesterday was probably the day I, I believe yesterday teams should have gone. Anyway, we're going to it was a lot more chill. We zoom to the final hour. It's a lot more chill than yesterday because there's wide roads. Uh, no one's half wheeling each other anymore. Bora. Lotto Destiny, Yambo, Alperson, and some other teams take the front trek with Simmons before Simmons comes. And there's an agreement. Can't, tranquilo. No Oof. one's half wheeling. They're established. Wow. In, from 40 to 20, it was calm. They At were, some point, Simmons didn't get, didn't get the memo. Simmons then started half wheeling people on the little risers. And you can see people looking like, come on, man, we've established position. Just chill out. Like, we don't need to get into this, this, <laughs> this rush. It was, but it was more calm than yesterday, uh, that's for sure. 
but there were some decisive roundabouts. And so we saw, yeah, Kelderman leading out Yumbo. Ineos went there. UAE were chilling. They saved energy today, so they had a day off. Um, Bora, I think, were very impressive, keeping Hindley safe once again, I must say. And let's get to the Wellsford roundabout, Benji. You've got DSM. They've established right-hand side, long train. And there's a roundabout. And it's, it's a left-hand turn. Illegal, uh, if there wasn't, if you're on a car. Because thank you, yeah. <laughs> left hand turn the shortest way, so they just turn the first left at the roundabout, and then you could also go 270 degrees. And there's one rider who goes that way who gets switched off to the right. And I saw it, I saw the tattoos, it was our boy Wellsford. And I was like, that's it, done. Well, how many k's was that? Like six, seven, or something, six, seven kilometers from the finish line. Wellsford straight into the shadow realm across the uh, 150 across the roundabout. Gone. He's way at the back of the pedal. You see the DSM guys after that corner, like, oh God, we just lost yeah. someone. Oh God, it's our sprinter. And like, we see the first two riders like looking behind them and the third rider is on his microphone. Like, are you still alive? <laughs> he was way at the back. So he was out. Anyway, we see a bit later a move by Bora to the front. And this was after that corner you just mentioned. And Bora really pushed forward at that moment. But we've already spoken about Bora a bit earlier, the way their strategy was with, with Van Poppel and Bennett. I feel like, they didn't necessarily do that at UAE tours and so forth, being straight at the front at no. this moment. They were. Is that a Hindley effect? Maybe, maybe, because usually they're entirely at the back yeah. waiting to cross everybody in the final stretch. Here would be a bit sketchy to wait that long, but usually that's their strategy. I also feel like in the last few sprints, we saw Mayo's not necessarily holding the wheel of, of Van Poppel throughout the sprint itself, but that was the last I saw from Bora. I know, and also when you look at the results with Wells, uh, with not Wellsford, Van Poppel finishing ahead of Mayus, either that was planned because it was a slightly grippy sprint in the end on the on the race circuit, or I don't I don't know actually. Uh, but anyway, in the lead out, it gets super frantic and strung out into the three kilometers to go. But the, the three kilometers to go is just before the entry into the race circuit, so that which is always a sprint point coincides with already where yeah. everyone wants to be does that have a consequence for the way yumbo behaved because i feel like yumbo went way further than the three kilometer mark yeah. into that narrow section onto the onto the motors uh, motorcycle course whatever you call it yeah moto course moto racing circuit circuit whatever it is is this your motorbikes well this was so yeah yumbo van hoydonk had been actually boxed deep wow van Aert actually he struggled with position the whole run in yeah um he he basically was a non-factor in this sprint laporte was in much better position and yeah yumbo gets to the front with van hoydonk benoit van bala uh van hoydonk's the last man for them and yeah they actually are in perfect position in terms of keeping vingegaard safe because you basically have him second wheel with one rider strung up in in front of him through the three k's and as you said then morich comes on to extend the lead out because Bauhaus is in good position. Yeah. And Vingegaard with like, I don't know what, 2.5 to go? Yeah. Tax on tomorrow's wheel. I'm like, bruh, please, come on. This isn't, <laughs> <laughs> we've seen this before. Do not, it's less than three cases to go. You don't, there's one man who's going to take big risks through these corners. But Vingegaard, he's like white line fever a little bit. He's super, I don't know, he was rubbing shoulders, but anyway, his safe didn't matter. I thought it was unnecessary because this is not like a normal sprint because in a normal sprint, it is actually very dangerous. Mm -hmm. if, if you can hold second wheel in a single file and you can hold second wheel, do it for as long as possible in a yep. normal sprint. But here, when you pull off, it's such a wide circuit 
you can literally pull off and you're not going through the washing machine. Yeah. There's no one that's going to bang your bars when you see riders going backwards. So, I mean, eventually I think he did pull out or got swamped. But no, when he did actually well, get swamped, he had to go through the group. And this was, he, he, he moved back after we had a crash in the group already. Because yeah. Jakobsen crashed. I don't know the specifics of... With Guarnieri, I think. Yeah, Guarnieri and Jakobsen both crashing. I don't know the specifics of how they crashed, but 1.6 kilometers, Jakobsen out of the picture, while Alaphilippe was in third position, which was very intriguing to see. Yeah. And then Alaphilippe disappeared, Jonas disappeared, and we went with the real sprinters or the sprinter teams of the second row I still feel at like the there, front. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there wasn't that much control. There wasn't like... Alpacin a, was in the shadow realm at that point. Exactly. Like, they'd lost each other. Van der Poel was further in the group than Philipsen. You saw Laporte in fourth wheel, and I really thought, is he going to try a finesse or attack? Because there's no Ryan Mullen coming up at 1.2 or Asgren at 1.2, 1.3 or Ballerini or even Rickard, frankly, to really lock this down and increase the speed. It was Kofidis hoping to maintain front position and Uno X just behind them. And Laporte was kind of surfing fourth wheel. Now, I don't know if he was waiting for Van Aert or whether he... Because at that point, Laporte should have been going for his own race. Van Aert yeah. was so deep. Now, obviously, you're not exactly uh, talking to each other on the radio with uh, a K left, but I, I feel like Laporte had an opportunity there, didn't go for it. And... We see everyone lined up. We get into the, the finishing straight, 700 meters to go. And Kovacic on the front. And then Van der Poel finds space. He's got Philipsen finally on his wheel. Cavendish is in okay position. Groenewegen okay. And Van der Poel moves Binny out of the way, who is to his <laughs> left, and basically does a monster lead out up the slope. Everyone tries to... Oh, Ewan is the best rider to get onto Philipsen's wheel. Some guys tried to get on, on Philipsen's wheel, but the speed differential was so high, they literally just went past them, like Groenewegen and, and, uh, and others, and Laporte, who didn't even contest. And Philipsen, yeah, he's going up the drag. Ewan in his wheel. Ewan comes out of his wheel. I'm thinking, ooh, Caleb Ewan, it peak Ewan. But Philipsen wins. Um, hey, have you not learned about Caleb Ewan this year? Caleb Ewan always loses sprints by a very small margin. Yeah. But I think, I think Ewan's level is good. Yeah. And I think Philipson is just that good that he's now beating guys in his draft. Um, so, yeah, perfect lead up from Van der Poel for, for uh, Philipson. Philipson wins again. It's not surprising, to be honest. They were the best yesterday, and Philipson's the fastest. And when you have the best lead out and the fastest sprinter, you're probably going to win multiple stages. I think one of the other reasons is also that Van der Poel's lead out was later than yesterday. 550 meters, yeah. last, uh, last sprint stage, now 420, 425, if I recall, at the right top at that moment. So, it's later, so that means that if we look back at the tape, Philipson probably had a shorter sprint than the 11, 12 seconds I think I, I counted yesterday. I think it, today it, it was probably shorter than that. So that's also a benefit, eh? because then you can have your acceleration and you're not in the wind as long as, for example, yesterday. So that's the thing there, but lots of shit is happening yeah. while Philipson is there, because we didn't just have the Jakobsen crash. We had two, three crashes after that. And one of and the Astana crashes... In, as, they, as they went around to the finishing straight? Yeah, an Astana rider, probably Kez Ball, who yeah, returned guy. from the work of, of Cavendish yeah. or of trying to position Cavendish as least for the sprint. He was probably crashing because the bike flew in the air, so I'm going to guess he was on the floor as well. Otherwise, pretty weird. But not the only crash. We saw Warren Schult, who did the lead out for, for Uno X, who had a solid position in the last stretch. Well, he kind of does the thing that Remco did in his Giro crash. He... He was looking to the left. He moved even further, I think. Yeah. Well, he, he did the same behavior yeah, is yeah, what I mean. Yeah, same thing, yeah. He, he looks to the left and moves to the right without being aware of what's coming on the right side. And on the right side, we've got Kofidis riders yodeling about. So, 
Alex uh, Axel Zangler. Yeah. I was going to say Alex. Do not, and he's not unnamed. Do not erase <laughs> this man who just. I mean, this is. By the way, a word on Adam Hansen. I mean, he, has he lost access to his Twitter account since it's an ASO race? What's the meme of the dog? You know, the Billy Strong dog. It's like transition stage, stage ten, Tuesday transition stage. It's a bit rainy in the Giro. Adam Hansen's like strong dog, <laughs> and then ASO, ASO <laughs> with a dangerous parkour. I, I haven't. He hasn't heard from him. Um, maybe Safar will say something. But this is some of the things where. We, we, we do talk about parkour yesterday, not a fan of it. A lot of problems, I think, why there's a bend yeah. already discussed, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also, it is, it is also true, two things can be true at the same time, that yeah. riders do dangerous things yeah. all the time. And this one is one where it's like Tour de France sprint, week one, easy stage. If you're going to be up there doing a lead out or participating you should know better than looking over your shoulder and drifting like an amateur, frankly, an hour. like an amateur. And to crash a guy out into the barriers like the, the UNOX guy did. Now, both of them crashed. I'm sure the UNOX guy, Varnskold, I think, he also doesn't want to crash. But how do... It's a mistake. It's a, it's a mistake and it's something he shouldn't be doing and it's dangerous. And in sprints, you shouldn't be looking over and drifting uh, yeah. after your lead out. Like, it's a basic principle. So... Whether you, I mean, crashing is a penalty in itself. He didn't want to crash, yeah, but, but crashing is a penalty in itself. But yeah, he, the other guy is also crashing. But it's like, it's an unfortunate mistake that. Should, should you be disqualified or sanctioned for that? Because it's, yeah, it's not intentional, but it's dangerous behavior, which has crashed another competitor and it could have been avoided. It's difficult because, for example, we look at RVV that crashed by uh, the Bahrain rider, for example, that caused a, a, a massive crash yeah. there. We were, we were shouting, okay, that should be penalized. And he got in, DQ'd. In this situation, what's going to happen? He's going to get relegated and he's going to be moved to the last of the group. Has no influence of the, yeah. on the race at all. So I don't think that the UCI rules are, are built to be able to do anything to him. And the same way that they're not built to do anything to Vanderpool's little bump to, to Binium, for example. Let's say that's a I harder think, bump. I think Binium didn't want that smoke. He probably didn't want to fight. Vanderpool for that position, but yeah. Vanderpool just also moved him out of yeah, the way. Yeah. The same way Grunewagen uh, moved Kovacar out of the way. Yeah. It, it's maybe a bit less, but it was still the same move. Now, Oshkelmoza got relegated. Yeah, that bizarre. Re are we relegating sprinters? Uh, GC guys sprinting for fifth now? <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's an easy win, right? Yeah. Okay, Shkelmoza gets relegated. Well, he, didn't have he didn't have bonies. To relegate someone who wins a stage... Or you need cojones. And you were about to say, yeah, you relegate the lead out, so what? Yeah, exactly. If you relegate, let's say you relegate Vanderpool for and he pushing full someone out of Binny. the way. Yeah, let's say he full crashes Binny. Binny's in the barriers. Binny's upside down on the corner there. If you relegate Vanderpool, Philipson still wins the stage. Yeah. So UCI rules behave like it's an individual sport a lot of the time. While it's a team sport, and we saw this a while ago, I think two years ago, for example, where Consoni was purposely pushing someone to the side for Viviani to win a sprint in some French one that one race and Consoni got relegated. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But Viviani got the victory. And like this is a we're over over discussing this because Vanderpool it was on the edge, but I'm not sure it's relegatable. Yeah, Benny didn't force the issue too much. Yeah. He just sort of cleared the space. But anyway, and it happens a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean it does. But Ben, when you look at Schelmoser's move, I'm like, is this really that different to what Schelmoser did? <laughs> yeah. To me, not really. Philipson wins ahead of Ewan. Bauhaus, another good result, podium result in third. 
That's also 110 UCI points and 150 in back-to-back -back day. So 260 from Bauhaus. There's a lot of extra value from sprinters who can get consistent results in this Tour de France. It's a big change from the UCI rules last year. And also Lotto Destiny with Ewan will be, will be I think, okay, they want to win, I, I know, but they also need UCI points, 150 points today. They'll be happy. And he looks good enough to, if Philipson yeah. makes a major mistake, he can win a stage. Cockhard fourth. Cavendish fifth, so back-to-back -back sixth and fifth. That's actually better than I expected yeah, because in the Giro, mm -hmm. he was they were a complete mess against a significantly worse sprint field. Yeah, today he was in a good position, though, but like you said, if Vanderpool flies past you with Philipson in the wheel, he can't compete with that. He's going to get gapped because you yeah. need such an acceleration to get back to that wheel. To be in that draft of that speed that is passing you that, it's pretty much impossible to do it from there onwards. It's, it's interesting that Mezget's got a better result than Grunewagen. Same with Van Poppel ahead of Mayer, so... I don't know whether this the little rise whether it was a little bit grippier than people expected. There was definitely positioning issues. There is not. There's two lead out trains. No, I'm going to change. There's one and a half lead out trains in this race. Alps and De Koenig is one. They yeah. have a lead out train, and Quickstep are half. I think Bahrain is also halved it today. They uh, kept with Fred Wright. They're actually keeping Bahas at the front quite well in the last five kilometers. Yeah, and Moritz was pretty good as well. It was very messy. I feel like there was a lot of, there was a, again, yeah. big Maybe lack like 25%. of control. Yeah, 25%. We're nearly at two. Uh, Christoph seventh, Mezgez eighth, Van Aert ninth, didn't really contest. Never, were never in a position to. Pedersen tenth, just as well. They didn't let Quinn Simmons have a go on the 4th of July. A, a strong 11th, uh, and Mozzato 12th again. 13th, yeah, Groenewegen and Mayus 14 15. So, I still think Bennett would have got better results in the sprints than Mayus this Tour de France. Um, maybe he wouldn't have won one, but I think he's he's a better pure bunch yeah. sprinter than Mayus. That's my opinion, and I think they made a mistake. But anyway, that's all. That's enough from this stage. Tomorrow's stage we have uh, maybe GC action. It's certainly not going to be a sprint from Poe, which yeah. you don't think it's going to be. A, you don't think Gronovega makes the finish. I don't think Kronovay can make the finish, my friend. I think it's Luke uh... will. Luke will say, I have a decline, makes it no problem. <laughs> Luke's getting roasted every podcast, but he can't say anything. Well, he sees, he'll say it himself. <laughs> but when it comes to the stage, we know what it looks like. Eh? Polo down 2020, yeah. Hirschi was in the breakaway that stage, and we saw the GC action behind where Pogacar and Roglic were fighting for the bonus seconds on the Muddy Blanc climb. I'll let you go to the, to the parkour closely for a second here. Well, yeah, Poe, I think, has a pretty influential mare, so he gets like a Tour de France start or finish every single year. It is the gateway to the Pyrenees on the French side. Uh, anyway, the first 70Ks or so are basically flat. There is, an, there is a 2K 6% climb in the first 13Ks. I dare say the break might form on that, or at least people that have missed it and are strong will try jump there. Intermediate sprint. So that'll be interesting. This is the first interesting one where Philipson will really see his level. He needs to jump in the breakaway here uh, to go for that intermediate sprint because Pedersen will be jumping. And I will think he need to? As in, he's already got true. 80 points on any other sprinter. Yeah, he will. This early, you have to. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to be a big, strong break. And, and I mean, maybe last year, often the break almost didn't go at all. But yeah. I think the break will go because Yumbo. UAE are the team to me that will, I should go for the intermediate sprint at 50k is Col du Soudé, which is actually quite long. It's an all category climb. So if you're KOM, you can erase, I'm pretty sure you can erase all of Paulus points on that first climb because it's 15.2k, 7%, like 20 points descent. Then the Col de Cher, 4.2k, 6.2% of Cat 1, Cat 3, sorry, short descent. 
and then the Col de Marie Blanc, up to 1,000 meters, not high altitude at all here. Uh, 7.8 Ks, 8.4%, but the last 5 Ks are 10.5%. Very difficult. Bonification at the top, 8.52, like at the top of Hayeskabel the other day. And then it's uh, 11 kilometer descent, but actually the first 4 Ks of it are not really a descent. You need mm -hmm. some horsepower. It's actually a false flat, false summit. And then the last... 8Ks are false flat uphill. That's where he or she actually got caught last year by, uh, in 2020 by the group of Bernal, Lander, Roglic, and Pogacar. And yeah, where Pogacar took his first Tour de France stage win uh, ahead of he or she and Roglic. This, um, I think this could be quite an interesting stage, Benji. I think it's our first breakaway stage because I think, yep. uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe UAE, I think they'll try. I think UAE will go do the same thing as on stage two. Why wouldn't they go more? But if they, if they thought on stage two, it was worthwhile to chase all day for bonification and, and maybe Pogaccio winning the stage, he's more likely to win this stage. So I think UAE will try and control, but I think the, the hour and a half, hour and 40 before Col du Sud is too much for them. Uh, and they will not be able to control the break and it'll be some big boys in there. So. I think break wins, um, and I can't remember who I said, but I, yeah, what do you think about this stage before we pick who we want, to, who we think we won, will win? If you're a UAE, your goal is to have a smaller ruler breakaway at the start of the stage that you can control, and hoping that you can have the gap expand to an unbridgeable gap on the Col de Sudeste so that climbers can't join that. Now, that's a very specific job to do. They've got some rulers, but they don't have the, the crazy amount of rulers either. Trenton can try and do that job, Elaine can try and do that job manage the breakaway in that sense because that's what they should aim for and if you're Yumbo, isn't your isn't your goal to make it harder for you Aiden by putting someone in the breakaway satellite rider in the breakaway for example but because let's say Marie Blanc happens might as well have someone in the breakaway like Van Arden so forth if you put Van Arden in the breakaway on this stage and we get to Marie Blanc at the top and the breakaway is still ahead Van Arden can wait on top of this climb or not wait, depending on what his desires are at that point in the race. Hasn't won a stage yet. But if he waits, he can also try and out-sprint uh, Pogacar to finish to take bonus seconds away if the bonus seconds are ah, still true, there. Yeah. Or it's kind of a, mecha a mechanic of that sense. Depends on how many people are ahead, whether a break is far ahead and so forth. Paulus will be in the breakaway. He's going to want that. For sure that. he will be, yeah. points. And what stops Paulus from winning the stage? That. That will cost him. Because you have to. he will be sprinting on Sude and it depends on the size of the break. You you mentioned Chicone, but Chicone's on 40 seconds no, in no, GC. No, no, I was, was going to... So, it's really this... You see it all the time. Like, Chicone, why are you here? <laughs> no, like, they said he's not going for GC. Yeah. This is such a good stage for Chicone. Like, he could kill 99% of riders in this breakaway. Now, yeah. maybe he has decided, I feel good, I will go for GC, but if you... You know, you look at, I think, uh, Jaco will be in the break 100%. Craddock will be in the break. I'll, I bet you, and Yul, mm -hmm. Yul Jensen, I think Harper actually is their best chance to win from the break, but he probably will be on Simon Yates' duties. Uh, and you look at Lafay Benji, again, he's, too, he's on 12 seconds. Now, I think UAE, UAE won't be able to control the breakaway formation that well, but I really don't think they'll be letting guys, their preference will not be to let Chicane, Lafay, guys super close on... GC into the breakaway. Um, so I think that's a mistake. It, you know, if, if you want to go for the stage, I think you should, um, you know, be on more time. Like Hague's on 420. Why not be on 10? Yep. If you want to win from the break. I really agree. There's also teams that don't have that GC riders anymore. 
for example, EF. They've lost Carapaz. Their entire team is behind on 6, 14, 14, 24, and so forth minutes. Betiol, Paulus. Paulus is the guy Ooh, for the Betty KOM, all, but Betty in let's the say Betiol gets in the break. Heiskabel, he was pretty damn good. Yeah. He got over that. He was in that group. So that seems to be a stage where a Betiol can do something. But Betiol is so inconsistent that I can never guess when he's going to be in that breakaway. But a good Betiol can do this shit. Courts, I'm not nah, so nah. certain. I think this is too, too hard. hard. Now, a Chavez, for example, could be in that breakaway, but I've got a feeling that Betiol and Paulus might be a better combination. Tug Buddy plus half. Well, very first up. Chavez not getting in a break on a flat start. Yeah, exactly. And if he does, Jungles will be in there and then yeah. put him on the side like he did four years ago, whatever <laughs> yeah. that was. Was that a Gita? <laughs> oh, was it's it a Gita? Yeah. Fuck. It's a Gita. the kit. Yeah, that was the kit. I think Jungles, though, Jungles should be in this breakaway with Patrick Conrad always goes for a break like this. Uh, so Bora also like to go, go for the breakaways. I don't know how Max and Van Hills feels. Uh, he's someone you would also put down for... Lot of destiny if he's okay. Matteo Jorgensen's now on 21 minutes. If he's in any sort of shape, he must be in the breakaway. This is a perfect stage for him uh, to win. So I, I think there's so many riders, so many, and strong ones that I've yeah. just read out. Like these are strong riders. Robin Strong, no. <laughs> mm, no. Well, speaking of Israel, just Woods. To, yeah, Israel. He's in GC, no? Mm, yeah, he's exactly like Dylan Turns is on 43 seconds. So he. He can't get in the break. So maybe it'll be Schultz and Ull from them. They like to get two in the break. But I think this is going to be a breakaway of over 10 riders. Mate. And I don't. I think the break goes all the way. I think we fucked up not mentioning Alexei Lutsenko. He's looked bad. Well, he, he also had a bike issue at some point last two days. But he looked bad. But then again, he's that guy that loses time on purpose and then arrives on, on the fifth or sixth stage of a Grand Tour to take a breakaway stage, though. You know who's another rider who could have done well here, but now he's too close. But maybe he's let in anyway because no one knows who he is. You know, Harold Tahada is just quietly on only on one minute 40. <laughs> Why is he there? Yeah. But like <laughs> he was climbing well in Swiss. He was randomly yeah. in groups of seven in like G2. So. Madawas, Johansson. Mate, FDJ letting you ride in the breakaway. Well, they, they said they would. I'm the fuck on. Alaphilippe <laughs> <laughs> needs to be in the breakaway. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. why is he but here? Don't you think this is why all these riders will. So I think break goes all the way. GC, what do you think happens? Bunny. Oh, we've got action. Yeah? Like, the bonus seconds on top won't necessarily matter, but there's going to be action on Marie Blanc. Sorry, but... I think Adam Yates is gone. If... Gone out of the GC? I think UAE... You, you twisted your entire no, table. No, 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 no. UAE agree with me that he is too good. <laughs> and because of that, they... I'm flipping it on you. Pagatch is so scared of Adam, Adam Yates that they're going to make him lose time tomorrow yeah, by doing yeah. a lead out. That's it's like why. on High Skibel. Yeah. I, I truly believe you. Knock his pogs better. <laughs> if UAE is trying to gain time on the first two stages, yes, bonus seconds are involved, but are trying to do stuff there, then they're going to try and do shit on this stage yeah, anyway. Yeah. So and I believe UAE is going to go full offensive again on that climb. And I'm intrigued because Marie Blanc is not the same as High Skibel, it's no. not the same as Code Pique. It's harder, it's deeper. It's that fake news climb that was it the first fake news climb we covered? Yeah, maybe, because the tour that year was before the Giro and the Vuelta. Yeah. So it might have been. Um, Why is it a fake news climb? Because, yeah, the first three, four Ks are basically three, four percent. And then the last, it's really steep. And on, in 2020, Poggy basically slapped it from the base yeah. uh, from memory. He, he went really hard from the base and then Roglic nearly chopped him in the, in the sprints at the top. Bernal was quite strong there. I think, I think we're going to have a group of Simon Yates, Tade Pogaccia, and uh, Jonas Vingegaard over the top, and maybe Hindley. And uh, whether they work together very much depends on 
but whether the stage is still on offer, whether uh, where who's behind. Yeah. I think they will work like 2020. I think they'll work even if the stage is gone. Because, yeah, because why wouldn't Jonas work if Pogacar is willing to pull and yeah, Adam Yates is behind? Bonus seconds are gone anyway. So yeah, it's, it's not just, like Pogacar can gain time on you unless he attacks away from you. Just pull, right? So, Agreed. So I think there's a good chance that they they that they only took nine eleven seconds on group two in in yeah. 2020. It shouldn't be a huge yeah, gap either. I swear that in 2020, the breakaway formation lasted until the top of Sude. Yeah, he she was mad strong. Like he went solo with like 70 k's to go, I think. Yeah. Um, and he was in. I remember he was on the the S5 because they were still on them, and he yeah he did before it was illegal the the, the puppy, puppy paws. paws the whole time. Um. He's still that good. They just don't give him the chances. Um, <laughs> maybe not. This man's uh, this man's cooking today. Yeah, I'm cooking. Nah, he she <laughs> he won to a hungry GC. What more could you want? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit different to holding off a Tour de France GC balance. Where is Lafayette in GC? He's on twelve seconds. He should have lost time for this day. I, I said it two Can days ago. Can he not win from the GC group? Oh, he. You think he'll drop? I think he'll drop. This is too hard. If, nah. he, if you're gapped on the Haiska Bell, I'm sorry, the Haiska Bell is 3.7k, 7%, and he was gapped, and he had to come back. He's going to get proper gapped on this. Sir, Victor Lafay is the new resurrection of Andy Schleck, my friend. No, no, no. Schleck never had that punch. He never did. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is on the limit for him, yeah, but it depends how, how... If there's a group of 10? Yeah, but uh, uh, but Poggy's too attacking, so I... He should have lost time for the breakaway, 100%. I agree, I agree. Um, and, and if he wasn't the breakaway, good luck beating him on this sort of climb. Yeah, he would heal the shit out of this parkour. Yeah, he's, he'd, be, he'd dance away from everybody on Marie Blanc, but it's too late to lose time now. Anyway, I think it'll be an interesting stage. Uh, break formation will be interesting to watch. And even, I think, Colder Sude, UAE, if they want the stage, they're going to have to pull Colder Sude very hard uh, because they do the descents very slowly. So uh, who did I pick? I had no fucking clue. Um, you got a you pick then. I, I pick. I don't know who I picked. I just named seventeen riders and hoped that I would get away with it. But, uh, I think for this specific stage, I'm going to go. Oh, what was the name I picked? I also forgot. People will just say in the comments which name we said first. I'm going with Jorgensen. Um, I think he's been saving energy, and and this is going to be a big target for him. So, um. Yeah, Jorgensen, in honor of 4th of July, the day before, will go in the break and win his first Tour de France stage. Okay, I believe you. I believe that. You believe that. I'm going to go for Nelson Paulus, takes KYM, takes the stage, boom. Damn, must be in good shape then. I mean, he is in good shape, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. He's, he's not competing with uh, De La Place in the breakaway or whoever it was. What? What Dishon. can we expect from a like like Louvel? Because no, no, no. I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, oh. what kind of rider is that? Because I swear he was on the same page as Vocalin initially, and then Vocalin just went nah. interstellar. Louvel's like a class, a classics guy. Where's Vocalin? Uh he is going to the welter, I believe. That's sad. I hope they. I mean, yeah, Arcaia are anonymous here. They they've not brought their best rider, which is uh, stupid. Which is Vocalin, even though he's because he's twenty two. So yeah. Um, Vaucalin would, would have been side by side with Lafay. He, he would have been up there he, would have been, he wouldn't have lost much time by now so yeah I agree like he, I would have loved to see him here uh, but he's, yeah, he's going to do the welter anyway uh, that's our picks for tomorrow hopefully it's a good stage like in 2020 it was very good and, and we'll see maybe we'll actually see some I think some proper GC gaps as well tomorrow maybe not a minute but 
there'll be something on the road, I think, at least. But until I recap the stage tomorrow, ciao.